Good evening to our Wednesday night study. And uh, I, want, I want to just let you guys know about something that we have been doing now for a while and want to encourage you to be uh, at least aware of it. Um, you know, one of the things that we really desire to do are find multiple ways to speak to you and to share with you um, either what we're thinking, the vision of the, where the, the church is at or where the church needs to be going. Um, there's just so much that we want to say, not just me, but there's so much that we want to say. And how do we do that? I mean, it's hard for me to get through my, okay, an hour that I try to spend here. I keep thinking in my mind I can do it in 50, but it takes me an hour. And uh, then I start preaching on Sunday and I want to say everything and I can't say everything. And so how does that work? And trying to find those places where we can even have conversations where, where can we talk about like how pornography is affecting our people? I'm going to do like a 50-week series on it. Well, that's probably, you know, going to be kind of intense. Maybe we shouldn't do that. So how do we deal with it? And so one of the things that we decided a while back was to create um, uh, a podcast where we would be able to kind of sit down and just discuss some things that are happening, um, some thoughts that we actually have. And so these are two of our most recent ones that have actually been, surprise, surprise, the titles, uh, and hopefully they're accurate. We're not just trying to come up with crazy titles. Um, but one of the reasons why we decided to do the first one, so the one that is on the right, uh, what do we think of other churches in Stillwater? Um, we talk a lot about our responsibility to the church of God, and uh, we talk very positively about many of the churches in Stillwater. and other churches, we have some concerns about doctrine. And so we thought, oh, we'd like for you to be aware of that. And so this podcast came out, and people really kind of connected to it, and it was really good for them to hear how we as a fellowship Actually, the general gist of it is, is that we genuinely love and care for so many churches in Stillwater, and we want them to see like a, a, a family-type attitude or spirit about the church. And then this other one really hit us recently um, because of some stuff that we are dealing with in regards to uh, many of our own people, which by the way, it is always happening. When I was a college professor and we would have any kind of sermon on any topic, and then they would say, professors are down front and would love to meet and talk with you. Uh, young men and women would come down and they would talk, and I knew that every time someone wanted to talk and had something they needed to talk about and they hesitated and they needed to talk about, I was about to hear the word pornography. And that was just happening all the time. And the more and more that, uh, and I'm in a number of different circumstances where I get to talk with people and even church leaders, and um, it is extremely rare, uh, and I mean extremely, 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 extremely rare that I don't have someone share a struggle or a part of their life in which that's a part of it. And we thought, okay, we, we need to talk about this. And so... Uh, that's one that came out just last week, and uh, Drew and Scott Irwin and Morgan Weiss uh, were the ones that were on that podcast. We're, we're going back in tomorrow to do a bit of a part two on that one, um, but want you to be aware of this. You can pick it up, Ryan, help me with this, pick it up on iTunes, pick it up on SoundCloud, pick it up on... Can what? what? What are you saying? Go to our website. Go to our website. Media. Okay. I thought you were saying we were on a radio station. Tune in radio. Tune in radio. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about, but I guess we're on Tune in radio and XM channel five. No, not XM five. I think that's probably like, isn't it the 50s channel or something like that? My, I, I cannot stand 50s music, so yes. Don't turn into TuneIn 5. Turn into XM8, which is the 80s. Now, that's crazy town. Okay. Um, but this, as, as you saw up there, I just want you to make aware of that, um, make you aware of that, so that you can get a real sense of uh, some of the conversations that we have, that you may have an interest in. Um, it's been really interesting over the last little while on both of those topics. I had a number of pastors from town who kind of picked it up off of, must have been off, off of one of our Twitter feeds, and I just had a number of them just text me and write me and say, hey, you know, loved, loved what you guys said and love you back, and it was just kind of a neat thing. So these are our conversations that we have 
that we want you to be aware of. So um, conversation we're going to have tonight is going to come from 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you have either your Bibles or you can look at the sheet, however you want to look at it, because I'm not going to be stuck in merely this one particular section. We're going to be looking around at a couple of other major verses tonight because we only have 13 verses that I have to go through. And there are some key ideas that we're going to see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that, that come out of a couple of different areas. And I don't see Drew Moss here. Drew, are you here somewhere? Okay. Because he threw me under the bus last week. I listened to the thing. And if you remember near the end, I love how he gives like these, these principles. You know, uh, he, he said he wanted to be like me. But then did you notice like these categories he had for me? It was like, you know, like Jim is like either overbearing or really overbearing. Like, Drew, that's not like an either or. Or Jim is like really aggressive and intense or really aggressive and really intense. And again, Drew, why are you throwing me under the bus? But I thought it was interesting because at the very, he, he, was, he was coming around the idea how much he wanted to be like me. He's going to have to work on that a lot. But how much he wanted, because God gave him a great personality. But, how, you know, he's, he wants to be like me. And it was around this idea here. He was describing the need for courage, the need to kind of stand up and to speak. So I think that's what he was trying. I think he was trying to, like this backhand, like Drew always does, this weird backhanded compliment. And uh, I just felt the backhand. And so as he was describing this and he was talking about this, I couldn't help but think that really is what's happening. So the coming out of one, and Paul is saying to Timothy, like, I want you to stand up and I want you to be strong and I want you to do this. A lot of it has become from, coming from 1 Timothy Paul is saying, I left you in Ephesus so that you can set these things right. And that's kind of that intense, that intensity that's needed. You got to set these things right. And I need you to confront these people and don't let rich people put their hope and their trust in their wealth. And if somebody is saying something that is wrong, you need to silence them. And that is, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty intense. I can imagine that being a difficult thing for anybody, whether you've got Drew's personality or mine. That's just tough stuff. Okay? So you can't, you can't really escape that by any, by any sense of the imagination. But what's interesting is, is if in the past, in both 1 Timothy and then kind of coming into to, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Is that thunder? Earthquake? Both? What is it? Large mice. Jill, is that what you're saying? Large mice? Oh, kids upstairs. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Kids. Okay. I, I literally, a couple times today, I thought, I, I thought there was like an earthquake happening. I was just uh, weird sounds coming from my office. Now I found out it was just large mice, which are kids. So if you have this courage piece that's necessary, in particular, so that they might, you might, Timothy might confront heretics, what's interesting is, is that as you come into chapter two, Paul goes in a very different direction. Paul actually doesn't say, yeah, we gotta always confront the heretics. Sometimes certain churches almost get their quote unquote bread and butter from that. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a very interesting church, and I've, I've, I've loved their ministry in many ways. But the more that I would listen to them and listen to them and listen to them, um, the more that I felt like the lead pastor particularly, it's a church in California, the lead pastor particularly, almost every book that he wrote was like, here's what I don't like about such and such. <laughs> and here's what else I don't like about such and such. And I loved some of his books. Some of his books were really, really good and really, really helpful. So I'm not wanting to throw him completely under the bus. I'm glad he stood up and he addressed some, some very serious issues. Truly grateful for his ministry. But what are we saying to our own people? And that's what you're going to see here in, um, in this chapter. You're going to see the Apostle Paul not just saying, hey guys, we really need to watch for the heretics. But alongside of that protection that we need to have to make sure that we're on, we're on the right path against wrong doctrine, we also need to make sure that we're on the right path with right doctrine. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to be dealing with here um, tonight. So, uh, verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, or sorry, chapter 2, Paul begins with this emphatic uh, you can usually tell um, when, when it's this, you, when that begins a sentence, it's usually uh, there's a kind of an emphatic uh, pronoun that is used with this, which Paul is trying to single him out. It's a kind of an, an added emphasis. You then, and he refers constantly to Timothy as this, my child, 
which stresses both his love for him as well as his relationship with him. Um, even though he's not really his child, there is that father in the faith mentality that we see. And especially coming out of chapter one, as Drew described last week, he described this, the, the kind of the ongoing heritage of faith that his mother and that his grandmother had given. And Paul's going, no, and I wanna, I wanna be involved in that. I wanna invest in that. And so here, you, Timothy, my child, what, is, what, 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 what did you want him to do? Three things. The first thing is I want you to be strengthened, right? I need you to be strong. And so often when we ask people to be strong, and you're gonna see that I'm, I'm kinda holding back, but you can read and see where we're going with this. Sometimes we wanna talk about a strength that is detached from things of real value and purpose. I look at my sons, you need to be strong. You know, like personalities. My kids have that. You need to be strong in your own abilities, in your own accomplishments. You need to be strong. You need to be, right? We all, we all recognize. Drew said, man, we need to be strong. We need to be courageous. We need to be, but strong in what? Like strong in what? That's where all of a sudden it really does begin to matter. Are you anything more than overbearing? Are you anything more than just aggressive? Are you anything more than just an extrovert? And so notice what, what Paul does is he takes, he takes Timothy, and here's where I really come at this. I really come at this whether it's, it's me speaking to a, a new pastor that I'm, that I'm working with or me speaking to one of my children or me speaking to a new Christian. You need to be strong. In what? Notice I love this. Be strengthened or be strong, essentially, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's where you find your strength. Um, be strengthened, and we, we would add so many other things. Be strengthened by, and, and sadly enough, we will, we will give people a hope and a better tomorrow that isn't based in God's plan or purpose or promise. But here is what he is challenging, what Paul is challenging Timothy. If you, I want you to find strength by or through or in the grace that you actually are going to find in Christ Jesus. So this is why we need to have a broader, deeper, more profound understanding of what grace is. So what do you mean by grace? Well, you know, the stuff that God gives us that we don't deserve. God's riches, God's riches at graces, or God's riches at Christ's expense. And the one-dimensional view that we have of grace really fails to understand just how all-encompassing the idea really is. Like how could you be, think about this, how could you be strengthened by God's grace? Well, here's a passage I would like for you to turn to. It's right on the top there. Just kind of skip over with me to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and kind of see how Paul describes God's grace in a far deeper and richer context, okay? So again, when you only think of grace as forgiveness, right? I mean, for many of us, is, is that synonymous? God's grace equals forgiveness? God's grace equals mercy. God's grace equals like looking over your sin. And when you have that kind of that one-dimensional look, you don't understand how, how big the concept of charis in the Greek, the gift of God, how big or extensive that actually is. So here's how Paul describes it in Titus. We'll, we'll come back to this later on in the semester. But look at this in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Almost like he personifies it, right? The grace of God has appeared, and it brings salvation to all people. And then he doesn't say, by the way, it doesn't just bring salvation. What else does grace do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace does that. So how do we, how do we say no to sin? By, by thinking about the grace that God has given us. Well, how, how, do, we, how do we do that? Like how, does, how does reflecting on God's grace, understanding God's grace... So here, here, I'll give you a simple way that you need to be thinking about grace. So here is my lifestyle, which is totally focused on me, and it is, it is, it is focusing on all the evils that I, I want, where I uh, exploit and manipulate those around me for my own pleasure. And whatever, whatever, however you want to define that. God's grace comes to me, and it now frees me from that. It now frees me from that. And now all of a sudden, by God's grace, what I, what I have an opportunity to do is not sink back into that ungodliness, but I begin to recognize that by his grace, he has saved me from that. So no longer do I need to be exploitive or manipulative. 
God's grace actually teaches me to be satisfied in the things of God instead of being satisfied in the things of this world. Okay, that's what God's grace ultimately does. It teaches us so many things about God's plan and God's purpose. So it's not just, and notice Paul says this, grace isn't something that God gives to us so that we can be forgiven and then go on with our lives with the hope of heaven. That is such a poor reflection. God's grace comes to us and frees us from the power of that sin in our lives. It frees us from being um, defined by those things when we look at it, this grace that was given to us that was appeared. That when we stop and reflect on God's amazing work that he has given to us in Christ Jesus, and we actually do the hard work of thinking further down the road than just, and and hear me, I'm I'm not trying to belittle these things like forgiveness or mercy or anything, but I'm saying you need to hold them in their context. So God doesn't have different ideas. I want to give you grace, and I want you to be holy, and I want you to be forgiven, and I want you to be, and these are disconnected ideas, and too many of us in our own lives are just disconnected ideas. What God has given me is forgiveness, and he's given me grace, and he's, he wants me to be holy. Okay, but do you understand how all of those things fit together? How does grace and holiness fit together? Well, see, the, the pardon of God or the, the gift of God that Jesus Christ and his righteousness now becomes mine, that's a gift. I don't earn that. That's a gift that is given to me by faith. And so if this grace is something that he's given me to change me, to change me from what? Change me from my old way of living. Now all of a sudden, this grace has taught me that's the way I used to live. It's not the way that I live. It's the way that I used to live. But if I were to ask you, how many of you, when you look at your lives or when you think about the struggles that you have, don't see a real difference in your life, right? I kind of go through, and I think about God's grace and its forgiveness, and my life pretty much goes unaffected, unchanged, unaltered. Like when I get angry, I still fly off the handle. When I have any kind of lust in my heart, I just satisfy my need. When I'm hurt, I hurt back. And the good news is, I've experienced God's grace, so I go to heaven too. Really? Just, here's what I love. I'm not, I don't wanna wanna scold you. I don't wanna say you're dumb. I wanna say, but can we go back and try to connect those dots again? Can we just go back and let's just reflect on that God, what what God's grace has saved you from? And that's what Paul is doing right here to Timothy. I want you to find your strength. Be strengthened, he says, in or by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, this amazing gift that he has given you. And by the way, it it continues on in the Titus passage, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is, by definition, the entire Christian life. That is, by definition, all of what grace is called us to do. And, And too often... And, and for, those, for those of us that are preachers in this room or for those of us that are parents in this room, when we take grace and it is just God's forgiveness, it is so much more. Like he really didn't just forgive you, meaning excuse you. He forgave you. It literally means to let go. So you can now let go of that sin. Did you know that? It is by grace that you have been, let me, let, me, let me change the wording. It is by grace you have been rescued. Word is saved. It is by grace you've been made whole. The word is saved, sozo. It is by grace you've been rescued. You have been made whole, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God so that no one can boast. And now all of a sudden, how I look at my life, this rescue that he has given me by his grace, which comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? All of these things find meaning and purpose. And this is what we should encourage one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Like this is what you need to be strong in. This is what you need to find your strength in. 
this grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and what you have heard from me, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and, and literally that in the presence of many is just one Greek word, dia, meaning through. One of the reasons why they didn't translate it that way is because when, when I say this, Timothy, this is what you heard through many witnesses. The problem with that translation, which some actually do, is that it makes it sound like Timothy himself wasn't there to hear it, but he really was. But what Paul does, and, and what I'm finding more and more, when we did a study through Acts a little while ago, I was blown away, because I mean, it's like I've studied Acts tons of times, but I'd never noticed this so much. But what, what the New Testament writers are trying to do is bring us all together, not just so that we'll get along in unity, but that we will recognize what God has done, what God is doing collectively through all of us. That we have a joint confession, that we have a, a, a shared faith, and that it goes back through Israel's rich history. And what is he saying here? He's saying, Timothy, what I want you to do is I want you to find strength in the grace and strength, in essence, from what you have heard from me in, in the midst of all of these other men. I've got one message that I have given you, and then it continues on. So not only have you heard about this, not only have you heard me talk about this, and what I want you to do is, number one, not only be strengthened, but now number two, I want you to entrust that message of grace, that message of the gospel, I want you to entrust it to faithful men. Now, the, the word men there uh, actually is more of a generic word for people, okay? So this is where you can actually, if you're not understanding kind of what's really going on here, you can get, oh yeah, is that men, is that elders? No, it's really not. It's just kind of the generic word for mankind, humankind. And he says, and I want you to take this, so I want you to hear me, moms and dads. I want you to hear me, friends. I want you to hear me, um, high school, junior high sponsors, although you're probably in the gym right now and so you're listening to this on the tape or whatever. But I want you to hear me, grandmas and grandpas. I want you to hear me, elders. I want you to hear me, people who have any kind of love or devotion for someone else. There is this need for us to not only take in the gospel and take in the gospel and take in the gospel, and Timothy may have a greater responsibility than the average person. Hear me. I'm not trying to line us up and say we're all exactly like Timothy. No, 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 no. But notice that this text isn't just, hey, Timothy, I told you and it was just you and me. And now I want you to find five other guys and only tell them. No, no, no. It's like through many, many witnesses, you've heard me talk about this. And now what I want you to do is I want you to trust it. And, and this is a key word here. I want, you, I want you to entrust this. I want you to guard this deposit. I want you to hand it off. I want you to lay it down with or to other faithful men. So the gospel that has been given to us is never intended to reside or to remain in us. And one of the things that I want us to recognize, and, and this is the beauty of two things. One of them, it's, it's how consistent the concept of going and helping others know the truth about who Jesus Christ is should be a natural overflow uh, out of your life. That you describing the good news, the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus, um, the hope that you have, Peter says, the strength that you find, the purpose that you have, that that kind of connection is something that is just constantly talked about and shared and passed on. Okay? Now, some of you, and my wife would be a good example of this, some of you hear that and go, oh, that is just so not my personality. I mean, Jim, what you're describing is more of like an extroverted idea of that. No. Like, it's, there's not a big E on the side of the Greek parchments that this is for extroverts and then an I, you know, introverts caring for one another, holding hands, da-da-da-da-da, that's the, that's the I section, and then this is, no, 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 no. So then, so then what? You, everybody's supposed to be a preacher? Well, it depends on what you mean by preacher. If what you mean is like stand up there and to publicly proclaim, no, actually, that does not appear to be something that everybody has to do. But if what you mean by preacher, meaning to tell the good news, yeah, that's for all of us. And the word actually has kind of a, a broad scope to it where everybody's been commanded to do it. Anybody who's experienced the grace of God should share the grace of God. And then there are those who lead, and, and, they, and, they, and they speak to the, the, the church, and they equip the saints, and then they go out. But we've all been called to do this. And one of the beauties of this that, that we've been celebrating as a church now for the last couple of years as we've gone back and looked at the discipleship process is, and you heard me preach on this at the very beginning of the year, if you have a ring on your finger, 
And at least I know one person that has to listen to me that I can share my witness and my testimony to. And actually, I, my, my wife is in a great job preaching to me, by the way. She has no hesitation preaching to me about how I need to be more like Christ. I mean, seriously, Andrea doesn't. I don't know about your wife. My wife doesn't hold back. She has no problem, and I'm grateful for it. At times, I was frustrated by it, but I've really been grateful for the fact that she really loves Jesus so much more than me, and yet she also loves me that she preaches to me about, about the hope that we have and the grace that we have found in Christ, and, the, the, as, and when grace is that bigger picture, to say no to ungodliness. My wife is phenomenal teaching me to say no to ungodliness. She's amazing. Patient when I don't. Patient when I struggle. So that is a, that is a context that, that we have that we can share. And by the way, where am I getting that from? That's from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Moms and grandmas talking, right? So you have that context, and then even beyond that, you've heard that about in, these, in these many witnesses. I mean, so this isn't just something that husbands and wives share with each other, but it actually also becomes a very natural extension of moms and dads handing it down to kids. So for those of us that go, yeah, I have no idea where I'm going to do this, or I don't know if they'll let me have like a, a standing open forum at work. Okay, okay, you may not be able to do this at work. Do you have children you love? And, and what, we, what, we, what we find a lot, actually, is that moms and dads, so many of our own, in this, in this fellowship, so many moms and dads love their kids, really care about their kids, and they know how to talk to them about math and about reading. They know how to talk to them about being good. Okay, that's different, actually, than the gospel. They know, how to, they know how to challenge them to be good boys and girls and to listen up and to be nice and to be kind. But, I mean, I'm asking you this question. How well to, to any one of your children can you just share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the hope that you have in Jesus? And I, I want to put it in that context because that's one of the contexts that got Timothy to this point, isn't it? Timothy got to this point because his mom and his grandmother dared to do that. And, and the thing that I would tell you is, is that you may be free from the uh, responsibility to preach to 100 people or 500 people this Sunday, okay? Chances are I'm the only one that'll have to do that in this room. But you don't have the, the, the freedom or you don't have the ability to escape the other responsibilities that God has given you to speak about him in other contexts. So Paul says here, what I want you to do, Timothy, is as you find strength in this grace, I want you to take that and what you have actually heard, I want you to entrust it to faithful men and then notice how it continues on, who will be able then to also teach it to others. Now this, uh, now I'm speaking more to the, uh, to the elders or to the leaders of this church as we kind of follow Timothy's example, is that it, the, the, the concentric circles of responsibility as it moves from, from my wife and from my kids and from those that are closest to me God has given me personally, and I'll kind of we'll took it a couple of different ways to apply this. God has spoken to me personally about a responsibility that I have that extends beyond my wife and my children. It extends beyond my neighborhood. And, 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 and by God's grace and for his purposes, he has continually called and pushed me and challenged me and equipped me and uh, rebuked me and warned me as this continues on. But I want us collectively now as a church to just recognize how critical and how important it is for us to pray for our leaders. Um, we're always, as elders, asking the question. I'm really grateful, Craig, um, who's here tonight, Tom, who's here tonight, Terry, who's here tonight. I feel like I'm going to be saying, I'm missing somebody. Um, one of the things that I just really have appreciated is um, for, for probably as long as I've been here anyway, the question just keeps coming up over and over and over again and who are going to be our next elders and who are going to be our next elders and who are going to be our next elders. And, and I'll tell you, I read a text like this. And, and look at what it actually says, who will be able, the word there for will be able, um, a synonym for that in the Greek would be competent, competent, which is interesting because when Paul in 1 Timothy describes an elder as being able to teach, okay, sometimes we get amazed with this. This, 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 there's a part of what I'm doing tonight that's just called pedagogy, right? Like, isn't, isn't Drew a good teacher? Isn't Drew a good, I mean, he's a good teacher, is he not? Isn't Ryan, isn't Paul a good teacher? They're good teachers, right? 
They're such good, that's called pedagogy. That's their, that's their teaching style. They know how to use great illustrations and they're good with their hands, right? They just have, uh, they're forceful or they're passionate. Wow, aren't they good teachers, right? And how many of you know of a good teacher and what you're really describing is they just kept my attention. They were such good teachers. What'd they say? I don't know, but it was awesome, right? That's not what Paul is arguing for. I've had very great elders come up to me and actually make statements like, yeah, I don't know if I'm a great teacher. And I love saying to them, well, Paul's not arguing great teacher. It is able to to, to hand off the, the biblical truths. That's what Paul wants. Paul's not ready for pomp and circumstance. If anything, read 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, when I came to you, I didn't have flattery. I didn't have fancy words. I wasn't trying to impress you with deep thoughts. I came to you very simply, and I preached the truth to you, and it may have been as boring as anything, but it was true because it was about Jesus, and it was about him. And Paul really tried to make sure that those churches knew that he wasn't trying to impress them with oratory. What he was actually trying to do is communicate the eternal truths of God's plan. And and maybe one of the reasons why you've been real hesitant to share is because you, you see great communicators like Ryan or Paul or Drew or whatever, and you just go, you know, you watch Morgan speak, and you're just like, I can't do that. No wonder my kids like Morgan and not me, right? That's really not the point. It's really not the point. What Paul is, is, is enlisting here with Timothy is I want you to take what you've heard, and this tra- transmission is so critical. I want you to take what you've heard, and I want you to entrust that with faithful men, so not just give it to anybody, with faithful men who are what? Who are able to hand that on. And, and, and here's where, and we, I don't do this enough. I don't do this enough. You need to pray that the continued preaching of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel continues for generation after generation in this church. Okay? And if I were to say to you, like, when was the last time you just begged God that that would happen. That, that, that young, um, young men would, would, would dare to rise up and, and, and take the mantle of leadership and responsibility in such a way, not that they would grow the church, but that they would preach the gospel faithfully and hand it off faithfully and they'd be surrounded by a church community. I mean, honestly, if I were to just ask you, like, when was the last time you prayed for that? I sometimes have to be reminded by guys like Gary and Larry that, hey, I'm not going to live forever. We need to be finding up new elders. I got to be reminded by guys like Craig who are like, hey, on the agenda, we're going to be talking about new elders. And I see that and I'm like, I need to pray. Because I got all crazy about just preparing my own sermon. I forgot to pray for someone else. I mean, have you guys been praying for my replacement? I'm not going to live forever. I'd love to die here. We'll see if that happens. Praying, are you praying for that and then, and then for his replacement? Are you, are you praying? I mean, how does this work? And this is what, when, when I read this from Paul and I see the value of this and the importance of this, this is one of the reasons why when I love to look at, at, um, at younger people, by the way, both men and women in many respects, although eldership according to the Bible seems to be um, focused on men, but I can't tell you how valuable their wives are in so many different ways. And, and, and wives teach, uh, women teach younger women, and there's so many different places that, that, can, that, can, uh, that, that, can, that can play out. But what I want you to, to see is like this is like the bread and butter of the church. So for you, okay, for you to just be a theological consumer, so that you can learn things and not think, how am I going to hand this off? Like, are you a dead end for the gospel? Does it kind of end with you? So tell me, like, what does it look like after you? Like, where does it go? So the gospel came down through history, da, 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 and it lands in Larry. And then what? And Larry goes, oh, I mean, it pretty much ends here. But I'm going to come to church regularly and give. But after that, it kind of ends here. Really? Does the God, think, think about that statement. Does the gospel end with you? Or are you already thinking? And the beauty of it is, is that, again, you don't have to be a pastor. You can be whatever God wants you to be, but please tell me that you thought this through. And please tell me you even recognize the joy, and sometimes in God's burdens that he gives us, there's a joy and a burden, of, and I want to hand this off. 
And, and by the way, um, I, this is not a small thing. And to hand it off to your kids, right, is, is probably one of the most important things you can do. That's not a small thing. Uh, when I was ordained, I remember the great Mark Scott, which by the way, I just got him. He's going to come speak here in a couple of weeks. So he's one of my favorite communicators in the world. February 26th, he's going to come and preach to us. It's going to be awesome, okay? My mentor. So I'm excited about that. But I remember him looking at me and Andrea, and he literally said, remember Jim? And he pointed to Andrea, and I think Matthew was, yeah, Matthew was alive at the time. He was, Andrea was holding him. And he looked down and he pointed out, she was sitting over here actually, and she said, and this is your first church. Can you imagine, I love this, can you imagine, this is orange, by the way, before it was named orange, Paul called it. This is what he's talking about in here, all of these levels. And imagine if we all took that kind of level of responsibility with those closest to us. Oh man, God would be so pleased. Look at verse three. So what are we gonna do? Be, Timothy, be strengthened, number two, in trust, and then number three, share in suffering. All right, that's, the, no, that's a tough one. I want you to share in suffering. Literally, it means to endure hardship. It means suffer with, endure in a long way. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So those are the three things he wants them to do in those first three verses. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to entrust. And I want you to share in suffering, which was a more of a, as Drew described last week, more of a natural byproduct of a, of a life that was dedicated to Jesus, particularly in Roman times. And that sharing in that suffering wasn't I'm trying to find suffering, but when we're faithful and we pursue God, difficulties are going to come. To whatever degree, that's, that's, that's circumstances under God's sovereign control that are going to be dictated to us. But he says, I want you to share in these sufferings as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and now he's going to use three pictures that he, one, of, one of them he's already mentioned. Number one, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, by the way, that's, that's what he's, he's going to use the word soldier. And what's a soldier? That's an army guy. That's a guy who's fighting, a guy who's attacking, a guy who's... That, okay, but that's not his point. When you're reading the Bible, because one of the things that we want to do in Wednesday night Bible study is help us actually see, okay, so what, don't, don't, don't grab onto an idea and then get all excited. No, 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 no. He's not talking about be a soldier and go and attack and take over new, new land. No, 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 no. Calm down, preacher boy. What is, he, what is the focus of the soldier is it that he's trying to draw attention to here? What is it? Disciplined obedience. Now, it's fascinating that in the context of this, the Roman Empire has now been completely controlled. So internally, and the closer you get to where the Roman Empire is thriving in Rome, um, literally, there's, there's no disputes for the most part. It's kind of quiet. A lot of the Roman legions are now in the farthest, utmost parts. They're traveling all the way up to England. They're all the way over into Spain. They're kind of advancing into, the, into Germany with the Goths and the Visigoths. So that's how the Roman Empire is expanding throughout the world. And that's where the soldiers are. They're far from home. And while they're far from home and while they're far from family, what, what, what would, can you imagine Rome just being a little bit nervous? Okay, can you imagine like just leaving thousands of, of, of young boys and men with swords <laughs> to protect the continued advances or purposes of the Roman Empire? Like, now do you see why, like, Caesars were a little nervous about, like, coups and people that weren't going to be loyal, right? Loyalty matters. And he's saying, yeah, just like, a, just like a Roman soldier remembers what is important and valuable, the one thing I want you to do, like a good soldier, because a, a real soldier, a real soldier does not get distracted or wrapped up in civilian affairs. And so what is his challenge to Timothy. By the way, it's not so have nothing to do with the world. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying this. I love this. Stay focused on your mission. Stay focused on your mission. I want you to be, and, and this is a great question for you to ask, is am I in accordance with where God has placed me? Because again, I mean, there's so many places that the people of Sunnybrook serve and work and, and do it. But wherever you are, are you kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused there? Like, do you see your job, your family, your community as an outpost of kingdom advancement? Or is it, and this is what can, can be very dangerous for me, is no, this is actually kind of more of an extension of my kingdom, 
Um, I'm kind of like an independently owned and operated franchise, and I kind of do what I want to do. Right? How many Christian outposts, i.e. individuals and families, really kind of take more of that franchisee mentality? And as you probably know, one of the, one of the problems that a, a corporation can actually have is that when you don't have like um, a consistent product delivery, then it can really hurt the brand. Like when you go into a Starbucks, Starbucks really needs, no matter where you are, and you go into a Starbucks, that you have virtually the same cup of coffee. You know that? That's, that's what a good corporation does. It takes care of it. So now do you see why, like when the Apostle Paul calls for unity, when the Apostle Paul calls for this, and by the way, I don't think he's thinking about protecting the brand, but he's saying no matter where we are in every outpost, we have to have that same devotion, that same dedication, that same um, disciplined obedience to who Jesus Christ is, and we can't get distracted by other things. We can't. We cannot do that. He continues on. So not only do we need to have this disciplined obedience, verse five he says, because an athlete, that's metaphor number two, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So by the way, don't think athlete, and yeah, now he's going to talk about the discipline aspect that an athlete has to have so that he's always training and he's, no, 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 again, that's not what he's saying. So the first one was this crazy discipline piece, but the second metaphor, he's not talking about discipline. What is he talking about? If anything, if the discipline is discipline according to what? The rules. That's a great reminder. Um, the, the, the church is one place where it's really, really good for us to celebrate our, our diversity because we are all made in God's image and it's a wonderful thing. But creativity at the expense of the gospel and at the expense of the conformity of the unity that we have in Christ is actually like a bad thing. And I love what Tim, Tim Timothy's not here to just make it up and do it his own way. No, 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 no. And, and this was really true in Roman times. Like, well, one of the things that kind of ruins this is, is like in a, lot of our, uh, in a lot of our sporting culture, um, if you could find a way around the rule that was kind of like a cool thing, it was ex- incredibly a big deal in a shame-based culture like this. Right? So when you put it in its context, no, you, you, you compete by the rules or they expel you and then there's that great shame. So think more of like a Lance Armstrong and the shame that comes down on him. You cheated? And Paul's saying, yeah, we don't, we don't do that. We are incredibly disciplined like a soldier, and we play by the rules like an athlete. In verse six, and it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, again, these analogies he's already used before in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he talks about an athlete and we, how they, we train our bodies. Um, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 14, he talks about a farmer and how Bible... So these are, these, are, um, these are phrases, these are images that the Apostle Paul uses in particularly 1 Corinthians 9, but as well as other passages. These are, these are ideas that Paul reaches into culture, pulls these illustrations out and says, like, these comparisons are ways that we need to look at our Christian life and look at our Christian walk. And he wants us to actually, Paul, well, he wants Timothy to actually think about these things And look at how he says it in verse seven. Therefore, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And what the apostle Paul is saying by that is what I I desire for you, what I really desire for you, Timothy, is to just spend a lot of time thinking about maybe some of the distractions that you have. And if a Roman soldier can be focused, how, how about you? I want you to just think about like athletes and all of the, um, all of the, the, the conformity that they have to make. And, and why do you always have to come up with new stuff? And I want you to just think about just how, how like that, that farmer works hard and receives his share of the first fruits. You don't think God's going to treat you that way? Like work hard like that. And what I find to be deeply convicting is when I look out into the world and those that who do not even have kingdom mindsets, I see incredible disciplined obedience. I see incredible conformity to the rules in many instances. I see a, a natural way to work hard when it's for me. And I just want to ask you, is the kingdom of, not, is the kingdom of God not greater? And can you imagine if we would like think about these things? reflect upon these things, and then live in a devoted and dedicated way. 
So that's Paul describing some analogies for Timothy to reflect on. And again, he's not battling heretics. What is he doing? He's actually just kind of living every day-to-day life, focusing on the grace that Jesus Christ has given him. Verse 8, and I also want you to, in essence is what he's saying here, I want you to remember Jesus Christ. But what aspects about him? And this is, um, this is so, 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 so important, okay? When I say you need to think about Jesus, it's always good. Think what about him? Like, think about how kind he is and how sweet he is and how, how caring he is. Sure, like, how is Jesus sweet and kind and caring? Well, you know, he just, he touches lepers and he, okay, anything else? Yeah, he really likes to feed people. Okay, anything else? No, that's pretty much it. We need to be nice like him. Actually, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, I want you to just think about all the sweetness of Jesus. Is I want you to see Jesus, remember Jesus, risen from the dead. By the way, that, that image there is not crucified on the cross, which, by the way, is not a bad image, but that's not Paul's image here, is what? Risen from the dead, victorious. He's already told him you're gonna suffer. You're going to suffer, and I want you to remember that, and, and, and the risen from the dead, what imagery does that actually give? According to the New Testament writers, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ does what to Jesus? It verifies him. It proves his message because God raised him from the dead. This Jesus whom you crucified, Peter says in Acts chapter two in his sermon, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ by raising him from the dead. So Timothy, as you think about all of this and before you wanna just throw in the towel, before you wanna quit, before you wanna um, kind of just shrink back, right? I mean, honestly, since Drew's not here, uh, Drew's really sweet and kind and stuff, but you push him on like really important Jesus things he, 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 comes to the, he comes to the fight. He really does. He's meek and he's mild, but um, try making fun of his Jesus and see what you get. He'll come to the fight. Try to, try to mislead someone that he loves. Doesn't have to just be his kids. Try to mislead someone, see what, see what Drew does. He'll come to the fight. Why? Because this is, I'm, 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 I'm gonna be, I'm going to be protected. I mean, in the end, it's, uh, Drew does have that softer, more kind of that genteel approach to things, but don't mistake that ultimately there is this vindication that is going to come um, not by my forcefulness, but only by the power and spirit of God. It's good for us overbearing guys to remember that. So remember, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And then he says, the offspring of David, which is the promised Messiah, right? The promised Messiah, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So now this is the second time we find out, like, this is what Paul does all the time. And he even describes this in 1 Corinthians, he even describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this crazy message that he actually preaches is foolishness to those around him, but it's what I preach. I know that people think I'm crazy when I say this, but Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. This is my my gospel. And not only that, verse nine, he continues on, for which I am now suffering, bound with chains. He has already referred to those in chapter one, verse 16, as a criminal. And Drew pointed this out when he was teaching this last week. To align yourself with a criminal in Roman culture is even a greater sense of shame and embarrassment. I mean, it's hard for me, this is just kind of, I guess, my upbringing, right? To be lined with Jesus is just this really cool thing for me. It really is. I mean, I never felt weird in my family. I, always, I would have felt weird in my family if I didn't align myself with Jesus. So I don't quite get aligning myself with Jesus bringing me shame. No, no, no. It's actually been, it's been a really easy thing for me to do in so many instances. Okay? I mean, people might think I'm way out there or maybe um, that I could be a better thinker if I thought through some of these ideas. Sure, I mean, I get that. But, but for the most part, I've never had that. But Drew nailed, nailed it last time when he just described to align yourself with a criminal. Um, again, it's, it's kind of like, what do you think of those people that were kind of hanging out with, with, uh, with Charles Manson? What do you think of them? How many of you go, like, that's, those, those guys are nuts. And they're just destruct, they're criminals. That's all they are, they're just criminals. That's kind of the baggage that would come with it. And so when Paul says this, man, like, Jesus was a criminal. That's kind of the world, how the world approached it, and there's that kind of that hanging over their head as well. He says here, but the word of God is not bound. So I may be bound, the word of God is not bound. Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Uh, it's the last word of the book of Acts. 
It describes Paul under house arrest, but the last word in the Greek text is, uh, and the gospel goes out, and then it describes in an adverbial form about how the gospel is going out unhinderedly. It's un- it's, 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 sure, Paul's stuck, but that doesn't mean the gospel is. I love that. The great Paul, right? The great Paul is stuck. God is by no means stuck. And, and by the way, who knows that? Paul. <laughs> Paul knows the gospel does not end with him. It does not, it, does, is not, it is not stuck at all by any of his circumstances. Paul looks at his chains and goes, oh, you really think this is gonna stop God? <laughs> Man, you guys don't get it. That's what he's saying to them. Verse 10, therefore, in light of that fact that I'm thinking about Jesus raised from the dead and I'm preaching this gospel and the gospel cannot be stopped, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Everything that I go through, I go through for their sake, he says, that they may also obtain salvation, which is kind of an interesting idea. Paul says, I do all this so so that you might obtain salvation or that the elect might obtain salvation. And where does that salvation come? Notice how, this is why it's good to kind of read how the sentence fits together. Obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus that will end up with, essentially is what he's saying here, with eternal glory. And that concept of salvation, again, is about this rescue. It is about being made whole. It is not just about the afterlife in heaven. It is about the entire rescue of God into your life. Freeing you from your sin, freeing you from the power of sin, freeing you from the judgment to come, freeing you from a life that is spent just doing nothing more than making much of yourself, free of all of these things, and then, in, and then into eternity. And Paul says, and for the elect, which I think it's really interesting, I have kind of down under here, um, he's, not, he's not describing in this text at all. He's not describing at all about election and how it works. He's not trying to describe how election works because sometimes when in theology we want to talk about election, really what we get excited about, okay, is we get excited about God knowing and choosing, which by the way, that'd be another text. We could, when we go to Ephesians 1, we could talk about that, but that's not what he's talking about at all here. If anything, he's got a really kind of an interesting statement. He's saying, I'm really working hard so that the elect might obtain salvation. Paul recognizes his own part in spreading the gospel so that the elect of God would come to know him. Which, by the way, the Apostle Paul would say these two things. Number one, nothing is dependent upon me. Everything is dependent upon God. And to which the church would say, amen. And then Paul would say, and therefore I must go. Not because it's dependent upon him, but because God has appointed him to be the one. And I'm gonna say it one more time. And God has appointed you somewhere to say something. I believe that. Okay, we got different calls than Paul, but God has appointed us. And I just love his dedication and the final statement. This saying is trustworthy. That happens five times in known as, what is known as the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. It's five, time, five times, not five times, five times. This is one of them, and the other ones are listed there for you. Five times he says, this is a very trustworthy saying. And listen to this statement. This is how he ends this section. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. That imagery comes from Romans chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul actually says this. These, uh, the, Greek, uh, the, the Greek word for with is soon, and they would, like to, they would take that word, that, that prefix, and they would attach it to verbs. So like die with, um, it'd be like die with. <laughs> um, they would kind of link these things together. And there's a number of them in this text which shows the close proximity and the tying together of the actions of Jesus and our, and our own actions, which is very real in Romans 6. If we, if we die with him, Romans 6 is talking about what? In terms of dying with him. Do you know? Like baptism. That's what Romans 6 is about. Because we died with him. And Paul's, Paul's point with that is, is that we have died with him, therefore, like we're dead to sin. We've died with him, therefore there is no, no power of sin that can affect us. We've, we've died with him. And then uh, immediately after that, and then we were raised with him. So that's how he's going off of here. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Okay, and that, that living with him is not just that eternal. Um, I would argue that the eternal starts, um, your first step of eternal life 
literally comes in that regenerative process. And I've died with him, dead to self. I now live with him. Second thing is, and if we endure, uh, we will also reign with him. So the concept that we actually see in this section a couple of times is that enduring, that going through that suffering, then we get victory. We get, we get this wonderful release and we get this opportunity to reign with him. Why? Because that's what happened. The analogy that we see in the New Testament is that Jesus died, suffered, and then God raised him from the dead and seated him on high. And then everybody bows to him. Now again, I'm all glory to God, so I'm not, I'm not gonna get that kind of fanfare. But if I die with him and if I endure like him, then God will be my vindicator. God will be my vindicator and he'll get the glory but then I will actually reign with him. This is actually a very popular phrase that's actually used in the book of Revelation. And he has made us to reign on the earth. That's actually a phrase from Revelation. Now again, we just, oh really? So I get to be a king and I get to be, well actually you're already the child of a king. So how this is gonna work out, I don't know exactly, but there is something that is happening there. And he says, hey listen, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Next one, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Um, the word there is, um, is, is kind of the word to, to disown, to have nothing to do with. And it's the warning that Jesus actually gives in the Gospels. And if you disown me before men, I will disown you before my Father. You say you don't have anything to do with me, I'll, when, on that day in the judgment, I'll go, yeah, I don't know him. I don't know him. The, the swearing of allegiances is a big, 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 big deal in the first century. And to be a Christian, that's why public baptism, um, that's why public, the confession that is very often described in the Bible is not a confession. Hey, guess what sins mess, I'm messing up with? That's not the kind of confession that is, that's being described here. It's the confession of allegiance. The confession of allegiance. Are you a Christ follower? Yes, I am. You know that that'll cost you. It doesn't matter. And here in this instance, and if we deny him, he will also deny us. So notice how the parallel is, it's kind of this one-to-one -one thing, and then I, thought, I think this is interesting. It's almost like, and then Paul says, but by the way, if we are faithless, you'd expect, if it's gonna follow in the same pattern, then he will be faithless too. But it, it totally switches here. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So all of this promise, but if we deny him, which is this whole thing, Timothy, stand strong. Timothy, be strengthened. Timothy, remember. Timothy, keep on. If you deny him, he will deny you, which Drew dealt with last week, those people who were undermining Paul's ministry and Paul's warning to Timothy about it. And here in this instance, think about this final statement. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What I found fascinating by every commentary I read is it kept talking about the faithfulness of God and the promises of God. Well, what did God promise you? I'll be very honest. It's fascinating to me how the church fails to recognize that God has always promised um, a presence and a reward for those who are faithful and a judgment for those who are faithless. Like, Tell, tell me where I'm wrong on that. What's, what's amazing right now in the, in the church, particularly in America, it's... Uh, um, it's God promises a reward for the faithful and another reward for the faithless. That's real popular in American theology, which I don't get. When he says that he's going to be faithful, did God not say, just like Jesus was preaching, listen, if you deny me, what, what, what did he promise to do if we deny him? What did Jesus promise? My, my question is, will he be faithful to that? I think the answer is yes. Jesus will be faithful to his promise. If you deny me, I'll die deny you. That's what he promised. And he's not gonna change his mind on that. No, no, by the way, you don't need to be afraid of that. <laughs> no, 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 you don't need to be afraid of that. You don't need to be afraid of that because that's not the road you're going down, is it? Tell me that's not the road you're going down. I don't think it is. The road you're going down and the, the thing that Paul really is emphasizing to Timothy is not, hey, Timothy, you really need to be nervous and afraid. No, 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 none of this is. The promises of God are, as we remain faithful, he will remain faithful to us, okay? 
And then Paul even describes this, like in God's faithfulness, and this is so critical for you to remember, is even greater than yours. Because the more that I reflect on his grace, here's what I love. Paul nowhere says to Timothy, and Timothy, I need you to always get it right and to never make a mistake. No, he doesn't say that anywhere, does he? Reflect on God's faithfulness. Reflect on God's promise. Reflect on the fact that God will, will never, ever, 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 ever not do what he has promised to do. He's promised to be there with you. He's promised to bring you through. He's promised to forgive you every step of the way. He's promised to sanctify you through and through. He's promised you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that you? Try that again. Is that you? Three or four of you. Awesome. Okay, awesome. Then hold on to those promises. Hold on to those promises. And I'm gonna end it there. Let's pray. God, thank you for that, for your words of truth and hope. And Father, I'm just amazed at the ways that we want to manipulate the text um, that only look at you in a one-dimensional way. And Jesus doesn't allow it. Paul doesn't seem to allow it. Um, God, I pray that we would remember um, that this text is all about what you have done. And we are getting in line. We are following after. We are being faithful like Jesus was to us. Thank you for freeing me from having to be exactly like that. Because if I could be exactly like that, I wouldn't even need him in the first place. God, thank you for the grace that comes only in Christ. May we remember him risen, offspring of David. May we share that with our loved ones. May we share that everywhere we go. For your glory, others benefit, and for our greatest joy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless. We'll see you Sunday morning.